Welcome to Fruit Snacks, a weekday podcast that covers big ideas about the Christian worldview in a bite-sized format. everyone. Today we are going to pick up with the first part of a two-part episode where, as I mentioned yesterday, we are going to be looking at another, I think, uh, failed attempt to explain adequately how there can be no sin in heaven and how we could be actually free in heaven. And in yesterday's episode, we looked at uh, Donnelly's view which I I said is basically this idea of heavenly eviction, where he is very firmly committed to the idea that we will be free in heaven in the real sense of the word. But he takes that, I think, so far that he's willing to say that it's possible that sin and another fall could occur in heaven. I don't think that's biblical. And we've already looked at the biblical data for the eternal sinlessness of heaven on Monday's episode. So today I want to swing the pendulum all the way to the other side and look at a view that attempts to answer this question by asserting that no, heaven will absolutely be a sinless place forever for all of eternity, but that is going to require some sort of compromise with regard to our free will. And this is a view that is espoused by several gentlemen. The first would be a philosopher of religion by the name of James Sennett, who wrote an article in Faith and Philosophy Journal titled, Is There Freedom in Heaven? And then two other philosophers, Timothy Paul and Kevin Tempe, wrote a article sort of picking up the ball and running with Sennett's position in an article titled Incompatibilism, Sin, and Free Will in Heaven. And they state as much in their article that, listen, we basically hold the same view that James Sennett does. So here's what they say. They, they basically take this position that traditional, and I quote, traditional theism regards heaven as a place in which evil is completely eradicated. So far, so good. Completely agree there. And then they go on to say, and I quote, it is not even possible that any should arise, end quote. So in their view, the redeemed in heaven are impeccable in their character. And we talked yesterday about the difference in defining terms between what it means to be peccable and what it means to be impeccable. These are technical philosophical terms, but again, impeccable means it is not even possible a logical possibility for someone to sin. Peccable does not mean that someone will, in fact, sin. It just means that it is a logical possibility. And part of where I think this view starts to go off the rails is that they basically have to say that in order for God to prevent and guarantee that sin will never, ever be an issue in heaven, God has to create an impeccable character in every one of us, every citizen of heaven. But that would mean that we are now no longer even logically capable of sin, which means that certain choices 
are now off the table for us. And to sort of give an answer for or an illustration of how they conceive of this idea, they refer to this as sort of a character development as the mechanism by which we become impeccable in our character. That over time, our character is developed and refined by God to the point where once we get to heaven, it will not even be logically possible for us to sin. Quoting, What I have in mind is this. Many of the character traits we display, honesty, for example, or courage, or rudeness, or punctuality, were formed in us as a result of consistent behavior patterns that developed into habit. These behaviors were not always habitual, but began as overt, deliberate actions, perhaps taken after not a little pondering and soul-searching. So one may be an honest and dependable person today, Because at critical points earlier in her life, she decided to behave in honest and dependable ways. But she could not have reached such a state had she not deliberately chosen honestly from among genuine alternatives in the past. So Senate's view is this. You and I are faced with choices every single day. And until or unless we have a character that is really fully formed, we have to make conscious decisions about those ethical or moral choices before us. For instance, when we are younger and we're faced with the option to tell the truth or to lie, we have to make a conscious choice to choose between one of those two options. But on this view, as we continue to make those same choices over and over again, let's say we choose to lie, then the more we choose to lie, the more our character begins to form and sort of harden into a character that is so well-developed toward lying that lying is almost not even a conscious choice for us anymore. We just do it. And in this view, if you take it, that means that over time as Christians, we become sanctified so that by the time we die, our characters are so well-developed through sanctification, that when we reach heaven, uh, our characters are basically sealed. They're frozen so that we only make good choices and we can't do other. Now, I think there are problems with that view, which we're going to get into in tomorrow's episode. But I would just like to say at this point that one of the other examples that Paul and Tempe offer, I think, illustrates why this is a bit of a weak way to think about how character development works. They offer this example as a practical one in their paper, and I quote, We think that during pre-heavenly existence, a person has the ability to form a moral character which later precludes that person from willing certain things. For instance, neither author of this paper can will to torture an innocent child for a nickel. Our characters are such that we cannot will that. We simply cannot see a good reason for engaging in such a behavior. So part of what they're trying to illustrate here is that their characters are developed to a point where there are certain things they just cannot do. But what I would take issue with is the language that they use here. They, they seem to be suggesting that they are of such a character that it is logically impossible for them to do that act. But I don't think that's obvious at all. I think what they're saying is they will not do that act. But it's a step much, much further to say that they cannot do that act. Let's let's take a different example. I could take a, a pen. Is it possible 
logically speaking, that I could take that pen and I could shove it in my eye and blind myself. Yes, it is. It's, there's nothing that's logically incoherent about the idea of me doing that and making that choice. It's a possibility for me. But will I ever do that? No, I won't. And that is the distinction that these gentlemen don't seem to be making, is the distinction between what we will actually do versus what is logically possible for us to do. And they sort of throw all that in together. And I don't think that it should be. I think those deserve to be separate categories. Because when you make what you will or will not do the same as what is logically possible or impossible for you to do, you start to run into you you just start to run into all sorts of issues, which we're gonna unpack in tomorrow's episode. So I hope you join me for tomorrow's episode. We're going to critique this view a little bit more. We're going to look at some of the issues with it, both scripturally and philosophically. And then that's going to tee us up for turning our attention next week to a version of answering this question of how heaven can be eternally sinless and we can be really, truly, actually free and yet never sin in our episodes next week. We're also going to get into some other topics like the original sin of the devil. How did that happen if he was in heaven and some other really fascinating questions. So I hope that you'll join me. Can't wait to dive in. 